14 minutes it is after 7 p.m. We we'll kick things off out in the world of money and joined on the line by a portfolio manager, 27 for investment managers, Akonam Lamleli, to talk through some of the big things in uh, company news and also, of course, that big piece of news coming through from Stats SA. Akona, good evening to you and welcome. Good evening to you yourself. I am on that Oh, I'm good, thank you very much. I can't complain. Good, 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 good. I want to, uh, before we get, I guess, to the big news of the day, which is, um, you know, that uh, number of um, quarterly output for the first quarter of 2022, in those GDP numbers, uh, to first take a look at a trading statement that came out of Omnia. Now, I guess for the benefit of some of our listeners who might not know who Omnia is, uh, maybe tell us a bit more about who they are. They found themselves falling on some tough times of, uh, a while ago uh, on the back of some uh, very risky acquisitions and uh, some challenges with their former management team. Uh, and it seems uh, things are on the mend, turning about. Uh, and also, I guess, what they're seeing in fertilizer markets uh, might uh, be making them somehow somewhat happy. Yeah, so um, in terms of who they actually are, so like, um, mm. but as you indicated, they have been going through some, some tough times in terms of management. Um, with a lot of management that has departed. But I think um, the current um, senior chief executive officer obviously delivered the training update today, um, seen in, um, this morning, indicating that um, the company is obviously coming out of a tough patch, um, particularly with regards to executive wise. Um, however, um, the group is successfully implementing a lot of the refreshed operating models um, and also some of the operating um, projects that they've gone into in the last, um, the last 12 months, uh, particularly of the financial year. Um, so some of these investments that they've gone to with regards to the establishment of, of the U.S. presence in the U.S. Um, in the period that they've obviously built in um, distribution networks um, in the U.S. and also other regions um, such as Canada and Australia and Indonesia, mm. uh, which did contribute quite handsomely to the numbers that they delivered this morning. Um, but they're also indicating that um, they are trying to diversify in terms of regions. Um, the, the group does currently operate in approximately 25 countries um, across um, globally. Um, in terms of some of the um, investments that have not gone too well, um, particularly um, operations in them, um, where they did see a loss in the, in the last financial year. Um, however, they indicated, uh, other than the Zim operations, some of the challenges, which um, have been very much premised on many of the challenges faced by um, a lot of companies, in a, be it listed or non-listed, um, oh, no. with regards to the COVID-19 pandemic, um, supply chain disruptions, um, which they indicated, and obviously um, extreme weather conditions, um, and obviously the fallout um, that, that is currently taking place, and um, that is continuing, particularly in the UK, um, Ukraine and Russia. Yeah, yeah. Now, now I guess, I mean, the, the other element here is um, if one thinks about what these guys do, and uh, a big part of that, of course, is uh, inputs into agriculture, into mining. So they are certainly heavily reliant on what happens in the primary industries and in the primary mm-hmm. sector of the economy. Um, one would think that, I guess, the buoyant prices of uh, commodities on a favorable path and I guess uh, also uh, what's happening out in uh, agricultural input markets would have made them very happy. Yeah, so that's it. And particularly the diversification that I spoke about um, due to the demand of um, ammonia nitrate, which they do mm. produce, and also um, some of those um, explosives and fertilizer, as you indicated, in the agriculture space. Um, that came through quite nicely, particularly within, within that space. Um, however, as I indicated, the 
the disruptions, particularly in the supply chains, but also port congestion, um, um, have taken a, a knock, particularly some of the numbers. Um, however, uh, however, shareholders are, should be pretty happy with some of the numbers that they are delivering, um, which will be reported in detail, much greater detail, um, later this month um, at the annual financial results presentation. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to Kenya. Now, I, I don't know how many times Rilo Dinga has uh, run against, um, you know, uh, Uhuru Kenyatta. Uh, and it's so interesting that both of their parents, uh, Oginga Odinga and uh, Jomo Kenyatta, respectively, uh, mm-hmm. were seen, as, I guess, a, as a generation of founding fathers in Kenya. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, this uh, very hot contest between these two at times, uh, bubbling over into other things uh, following elections, has uh, certainly been something to watch. But he's put out and given some sense, I guess, uh, to not just the Kenyan society, to markets and uh, to the world in general of if indeed he were to become president, uh, what would be part of his own economic policy mix? And uh, I'm quite interested, I guess, in your thoughts on that uh, and uh, what he says he would do uh, to make sure that uh, the Kenyan economy deals with its debt sustainability challenge, something uh, we certainly know about here at home. Um, and many of the other challenges of uh, diversifying the Kenyan economy. What do you make of um, the mix of things that he's done here and also, I guess, some social spending as well? Yes, um, challenges that he's mm. facing. So one of them is, is obviously um, to eliminate um, the state um, that uh, the country is currently going to. So the country does have a, quite a significant debt to the IMF um, and also through the likes of China and Asia to Asia, um, to some of the investments and also some of the debt that the currency does have. So the, the, some of the ambitious plans include, obviously, um, to give um, households, particularly poor households, to receive about um, 6,000 shillings monthly, um, universal health care, free education, mm-hmm. um, and very ambitious plans that have been put through, um, that have been put through by um, not only him, but also the deputy president. Um, who's the current deputy president that is also vying for the, the, the position, which is Ruto. Um, so it is obviously a tight race uh, between the two. Um, even though there are four candidates that are vying for the position, um, it is likely that um, um, Aralo uh, Otenga and Ruto are um, obviously vying the first uh, neck-on-neck um, particularly to this. Um, in terms of the other um, two candidates, um, it is um, a former lawyer, um, David Mahura, and also um, a former spy who was actually once exiled in Britain, and George Wainuka. So um, it is quite interesting how that will take place. But I think it is a, a two-horse race between the, the two um, individuals mm. that will take place in August um, come, um, that election time. You know, I, I guess many people, uh, when they look at, um, you know, Kenyan politics, certainly from outside, always, even including ourselves here, always concerned that we don't see what we saw uh, I understand the 2007 elections, if I recall, um, mm. which were marred with um, not only contests of whatever outcomes had been announced, but uh, a series of, uh, you know, uh, post-electoral violence that was seen there. And uh, mm. I guess it's certainly not a concern that is just unique to Kenya. Um, mm. But w- what do you make of how, I guess, the, um, firstly, the, the type of economic policy mix that he speaks about here? Uh, and uh, one, the sustainability of that, but also secondly, I guess, uh, whether or not these uh, elections might be as fractious as what we've seen in the last while. Yeah, so they, as I indicated, they're quite ambitious plans, uh, and they're very much standard uh, just in terms of um, growing the economy, in terms of automating um, the agriculture sector, 
um, such as livestock, um, the mining sector and the processing, um, the building of infrastructure, and I think that's the biggest one that comes through quite nicely here, is the infrastructure development and investment that you would like to bring um, within the economy. Um, but just talking in terms of, because I know the, the, the World Bank did actually release some numbers um, today in terms of the economy um, pertaining to Kenya, indicating that Kenya is actually expected to grow um, by 5.5% in 2022. Um, whereas last year they grew by 7.5%. So they're um, very much better than us um, in South Africa. Um, sure. However, I think for them, they've got a lower base that they obviously need to do quite a lot of restructuring um, in terms of the infrastructure that, been, that, that needs to take place. Um, and also some of the ambitious plans that you, you've indicated is that um, these plans also indicate quite a impressive one, particularly for small businesses and startups. Um, so he is promising tax reforms um, such as a seven-year holiday for startups um, and a three-year break for mm. SMEs. Um, so I think that's also quite terrible because I think, um, as we know, entrepreneurship is very much at the base of any economy um, yeah. and obviously providing an enabling environment and an enabling regulation system um, will drive that. And, and I mm. think that should come to quite nicely um, if it's done um, in the right way. And we know there's a very dynamic and very visible ecosystem, least of all, I guess, in the areas of fintech, insurtech, edutech. Mm. You know, and uh, many other aspects. I mean, you know, payment fulfillment and that kind of thing out in Kenya um, and in East Africa just in general. So I think, you know, he probably would have said any economic policy perspective in 2022, Kenya or East Africa can't not uh, but speak to, uh, I guess, what kinds of support you might extend uh, to those particular sectors. But let's shift away from that just for a second um, and take a look at... um, uh, I guess uh, this latest one here from Huleman. Now, uh, for the purposes of someone who don't know who Huleman is, uh, we understand, I guess, they they make aluminium. And uh, aluminium always, I guess, uh, you know, uh, I must say a metal that has multiple utility. So it's used for multiple things. And least of all, as uh, we, uh, I guess, uh, think about climate change, very much at the center of all of the green ambitions of many uh, who currently use all manner of steel um, and other metal products. Yeah, so um, human particularly in the last two days, the share price has fell by an exercise of about 32%, um, which is obviously with its market cap um, to about 444 million rand. Um, so this particular um, investment that... Um, the board um, had was quite positive, particularly on the deal, um, as the parties had already concluded um, a deal price, um, which they had considered contribute fair and also um, was actually substantial, a substantial premium. Um, however, in using the past two days, that the buyer, potential buyer, um, has fallen out, um, has um, significantly hurt the share price. Um, so some of the shareholders or the major shareholders of Huberman um, are the IDC. Um, and also some asset managers, such as your company for asset management and, and your 91, um, who are quite disappointed of the news that did come out in the last um, um, 48 hours. Mm. Um, so this is um, one that we obviously need to wait in terms of um, what uh, has transpired. Um, they've indicated that, obviously, macro-environment uh, challenges um, the bio was not ready due to the current um, happening in macro-environment-wise. Um, however, we will need to obviously weigh in terms of what other challenges uh, that they came to in terms of stakeholders such as your trade um, trade and industry department um, and, some, and some of the items and demands that they obviously have needed for this deal to go through. 
Now, I mean, I guess the, the other issue here is, is, is the role of the Industrial Development Corporation, uh, because it does seem that the suggestion is being made uh, that um, some of the expectations here were unreasonable, be it on the part of um, you know the, uh, the Ministry of Trade, Industry and Competition and, of course, uh, the IDC, uh, Industrial Development Corporation, uh, mm. which, for all intents and purposes, is the largest shareholder of Hewlett at the moment. Mm. Yeah, so I think um, the IDC, obviously, as an investment um, house. Uh, and of course, the other big news, uh, Akona, if we are to leave, um, I guess, the aluminium space just for a second, maybe stay there as well. I mean, uh, much of the metal machinery, uh, plastics, polymers and other uh, you know, parts of uh, the traditional manufacturing sector in South Africa um, recovering somewhat in uh, the first quarter of this year. And many suggest that's linked, I guess, to the performance that we saw in uh, primary commodities and mining. What do you make of, of this 1.9% up output? Uh, but uh, I guess the big story is in the detail of the numbers. Yeah, so as you indicated, um, SASA did release the numbers this morning um, of our gross domestic, domestic product increasing by 1.9 um, quarter on quarter. Um, so just breaking down in terms of what makes up um, particularly this increase. Um, so just starting with uh, the manufacturing side, um, the manufacturing, petroleum and chemicals um, were the largest contributors, uh, particularly of this number. Um, they contributed about 0.6 of a percentage point. Um, which came through quite nicely. Um, other sectors such as your beverage and food industries also came through quite nicely um, in terms of making up that 1.9. Um, and as it's indicated, um, there were um, sectors, unfortunately, that did not um, fare well, um, such as the mining sector, um, which did contract uh, during the period. Um, however, manufacturing, as I've indicated, was the much the one that we was most relied on in, in terms of that number um, of the 1.9, which came to at 0.6. Um, but I think we well, I think we're all expecting the manufacturing to come through quite nicely. Um, as you would recall, just over a week ago, with the job number released, um, the manufacturing sector fared quite decently, um, coming out with strong numbers, particularly with regards to the impact of the job creation, particularly in the sector. Um, if you recall, there was an employment increase of about 253,000 jobs. Um, in the first quarter of this year, um, which has obviously supported the GDP number um, that came out today. Um, as I've indicated, the mining co- uh, production was down 1.1%, um, which was lower um, quarter on quarter, um, with um, resources such as your platinum, metals, um, iron ore and gold mm. um, having the biggest negative impact, um, particularly from, from this number. Um, but other industries are also recording such decent growth, um, such as your general government services, mm. um, which came through quite nicely, and also agriculture, forestry, and fisheries, yeah. which also um, gave about 0.8%. On the investment side of things, I mean, we do know when, you know, this uh, GDP numbers tallied up, when people talk about growth, they mean the growth in that number. Um, from an investment perspective, the focus is on uh, gross fixed capital formation, which is like, you know, f- sinking of shafts, building of new construction, be it residential or non-residential and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, it seems for all of the talk about an infrastructure-led recovery, um, not much by way of new construction works or recovery in residential fixed investment um, and also 4 billion rand drawdown of inventories in the first quarter of 2022. What do we see here in terms of, I guess, where we did see some investment? Yeah, so maybe just continue with that, the construction sector. Um, it also experienced a decline of 0.7 uh, of a percentage point 
uh, that did not decrease the overall GDP number um, quite considerably. Um, however, the sector has um, seen a decline, um, and I think it's very much a concern. Mm. And I think we have seen it also in the jobs numbers, which came out over a week ago, um, with the sector very much dominating in terms of job shedding in the, in the first quarter, shedding just in excess of about 60,000 post lots, um, particularly in the first quarter. Um, but I think we're all waiting for that infrastructure story to take place. Sure. Um, so um, I think when the second quarter numbers do come out, um, I don't think they'll stay um, as great as the numbers that we're seeing this morning. Um, I think that probably the economy in the second quarter will be um, impacted by the events that have taken place, such as the KZN province um, mm. um, rains that have obviously caused such damage to infrastructure, and also the renewed power cuts um, that have weighed a particularly heavily on activity in the second quarter. Um, however, in terms of infrastructure, I think we're all waiting for that um, implementation to take place. Um, it, mm. it, a lot of it has been spoken about by government and um, been emphasized that it's coming through. The infrastructure investment is coming through. However, the current trend, unfortunately, is worrying in terms of the implementation um, of the various projects which yeah. are taking place um, at the speed as which would like it to take place. Yeah. And then I guess, uh, you know, if, if we look at the particular sectors that have grown in their contribution to output in that last quarter, uh, now some people might say, well, you know, if the economy is growing, if... Um, manufacturing is growing, if trade catering is growing, if finance and real estate is growing, personal services is growing, why aren't we seeing it translate into the jobs numbers? And I think if we just take manufacturing, it's quite interesting for me uh, when I look at the sectors that really did well, probably not the most labor-intensive parts of manufacturing, uh, not seeing footwear, clothing, you know, uh, leather, uh, furniture, um, you know, mm. construction, uh, which is also very sort of labor intensive, not seeing those coming through very strongly, but rather, you know, machinery and equipment, metal products, uh, basic iron and steel, all of the stuff really linked still, I guess, uh, to the commodity basis of our economy. Yeah, so in terms of some of those retail and um, very much dependent um, revenues that we expect and the numbers that we expected to come out but, but have not come out um, at decent prices, um, I think we've also got to take into consideration the the consumer, particularly in these trying times, um, with the rate hikes that we've seen, um, particularly the, the last one, the 50 basis point rate hikes that um, we've just seen in the past month or so, and forthcoming um, rate hikes that are expected to come in the next few months um, will very much impact um, the retail sector, in the clothing sector, in the, um, in the furniture sector, so um, I think those sectors in the next few months, um, I think, will continue to come under significant pressure um, due to the consumer themselves coming under significant pressure. Uh, but I think the most worrying one, I think, is the construction one. Mm. Um, as in the, in the last job numbers, we saw um, loss in that loss in jobs, and also in the previous, in the fourth quarter numbers that came out um, in February, we saw a loss particularly in the industry. So I think this particular industry is waiting for government to act on some of those projects, um, as I've indicated. Um, however, that is very much premised, uh, unfortunately, um, on government projects uh, that 
uh, unfortunately, we're all waiting to hear on, um, particularly in the last few months, we've also heard stories mm. of uh, a lot of the federal projects uh, being cancelled. Yeah. Um, so, unfortunately, it doesn't provide any much confidence in terms of these things will take place at the tenure that would like it to take place because, you know, the current dilapidating infrastructure continues to be a challenge for our country and mm. we know that it has the capa- capacity and capability to obviously provide a significant Indeed. amount of jobs but also create uh, and improve some of these GDP numbers that we saw this morning. Definitely, definitely. Last one on my end, what do you make of the, those net export numbers or the difference between what we sell to uh, other parts of the world and what we buy? from other parts of the world. It seems uh, all of the things we've been importing have probably been subject to um, significant price increases, save maybe for plastics and paper and packaging. I'm not sure. But um, animal and vegetable fats and oils, definitely. Yeah, so I think this is a challenging one because I think globally there's obviously a shortage um, particularly to resources, particularly in agriculture, um, such as your wheat uh, prices that have soared quite excessively in the last few months. Uh, but I think um, it's, uh, it can only improve from here, but I think uh, a lot of us is also premised um, on what's happening globally with regards to Ukraine and Russia, um, and also as we've spoken to on the show, um, with regards to the food shortages and some of the challenges that uh, we are having in terms of the, the food sector um, mm. globally. Yeah, yeah. Akona, as always, a pleasure catching up with you. And uh, yeah, maybe before I let you go, um, just let's sneak this one in here. I'm seeing here on the timeline uh, a notice going out to the investor community about the unbundling of the transmission part of ESCOM. Hi, I'm Gaibo Nick. I haven't seen it at all. Maybe we'll pick it up next week. Maybe yeah. we talk about it next week because yeah, 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 yeah. I saw something there on Kaisitole's Twitter and I, I thought maybe you'd seen it. Um, so that apparently there's a like call, they are busy investors to some investor call um, around yeah, so the I, unbundling yeah, so of the I, transmission. I, yet, but I, I think I have heard about it in terms of the investor call that's taking place in terms of um, some of the ESCOM assets. So I think we'll just need to hear greater more detail of what comes out of that call. Says um, but I but I think as South Africans, it doesn't look good because it feels like uh, our our biggest, they're, they're up for sale, they've been auctioned for sale. So I think we'll just need to get a greater detail and clarity on that story. Next week, tell us who buys transmission lines. Kubani on a checkbook and go transmission lines. Hundreds and hundreds and thousands of kilometers of transmission lines. Sure. Thank you very much. Sure. Indeed. Thank you so much. Uh, they're speaking to us uh, from 27.4. And uh, yeah, that's her homework. Uh, who buys?